Let's pray. Almighty God, who is here with us now, our strength and our shield, we open our hearts to you to hear what you have to say to us. And we ask that you speak to us through your word this morning and through my words. In Jesus' name, amen. When Ruth in the office was putting together the poster for the notice board outside for this week and she saw the title, Let's Get Physical, she wondered if I was going to uh, get you all doing weights, aerobics and the like. So before I dive in, let me put your mind at ease. The answer to that question is no. Unless I catch you falling asleep. In which case, you're up here. So be warned. Anyway, in this Easter season, we have been thinking about this idea that we're called to be resurrection people. And one good question as we come out of this Easter season, is, as we reflected on resurrection, is we think, so what? What does it mean for us today? And one answer that is often given to us is that the resurrection, above all, tells us that death is not the end, that there is life beyond. And I believe in that, and uh, it provides comfort if, when we're in mourning to think of loved ones who have died of being in the presence of God. And that's great. But if that is as far as it went, it could still have not very much to say to us, to this life, to here and now. And you know, it's an idea that has always suited the powerful in this world to perpetuate. It's kind of helpful to encourage people not to seek to improve a lot, because don't worry, it'll be all okay when in the great blue yonder, don't worry about life down here. It's going to be, you're going to have so much longer up there. And that's where Karl Marx got his notion of religion as the opiate of the masses. And the popular notion, yesterday actually, down at the tennis club, um, there was a guy was chatting with me and uh, his daughter, yeah, his granddaughter was talking to him. His daughter married a sick guy. And she was started talking about, you know, so what am I? My daddy's a Sikh. My mummy's a Christian. Can I be both? And he, you know, and he was sort of starting to field all these questions that, you know, you really want another adult around to go ask your mother or something like that, you know. And, uh, he, yeah, and, she, said, and she was talking to him about... You know, well, what happens when you die? And he said, you know, there was part of him, what he, he wanted to talk to her about heaven, but he didn't want to big it up too much because he wanted to actually enjoy life down here too. So, you know, and, uh, and we have this kind of popular notion, I suppose, 
you know, you might often see it comically expressed in cartoons of that, you know, Wiley Coyote gets run over or blown up, and then this ghostly image floats out of the body with a robe and a harp up into the clouds. The Christian faith goes much farther than that. We make a much bolder the Bible does indeed suggest that those who have died in the faith are safe in the presence of God. But it also points us to the fact that this is not their final destiny. Theologian Tom Wright puts it like this. Heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. It's not what resurrection means in the Bible. First century Jews who believed in resurrection took the view that at the end of time God would raise them in physical bodily form. As Tom Wright says in his wonderful book Surprised by Hope, everybody in the ancient world knew about ghosts, spirits, visions, hallucinations and the like. Most of them believed in such things but they were quite clear that that wasn't what they meant by resurrection. Resurrection meant bodies. And of our four Gospels, perhaps Luke is the one who goes to the greatest lengths to highlight that the resurrection of Jesus doesn't just mean he lives on in spirit after his death or he lives on in the memory of the disciples. And we get that particularly in the passage we read this morning. A quick recap on what was happening before we picked up the reading. Two disciples encounter the risen Christ on the road to Emmaus, but they fail to recognize him. They invite him to stay and eat with him, and then as he breaks the bread, they recognize him, but he vanishes from their sight. And they realize Jesus is alive. And they rush back to tell the others that Jesus is indeed risen. Only to find, and this really steals their thunder, they already know. Because he's appeared to Simon. And then, even as that gathered group of disciples are talking about all that's happened, Jesus himself stands among them and says, peace be with you. And they're startled. They're terrified. They think they're seeing a ghost. And to be honest, thus far, what with the appearance, disappearance of the mess, and the suddenness of him standing amongst them, even the way it speaks of appearing to Simon, you can be forgiven for thinking, actually, yeah, it seems a bit reasonable, given what they've been saying so far. But then Jesus responds, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Then he adds, look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. And still, they struggle to believe him. Well, you would, really. And in the, but Jesus, as if to drive the home, point home, says, Have you got anything to eat? And they give him a piece of broiled fish. Which is the first thing after three days. Um, I gotta prefer something else. But he takes it and he eats it in their presence. There is a physicality about the risen Jesus. He has a body. That's not to say his body is identical. 
In the Gospels, we see that Jesus is somehow the same, yet somehow different. He's unmistakably him, but somehow not immediately recognizable. He's physical, but more than physical. And there was much debate about this in the Jewish and early Christian world, about what this body was going to be like. Some thought it would be the same body which died that would be resurrected, which led to them caring a lot about preserving bones and so on. It might be more encouraging to some than others to think of that. Or there were some who suggested that we were all going to be 33 when we were resurrected because that was the age Jesus was when he died. But getting stuck in those kind of details kind of misses the point. Because the point is for this life. Because resurrection tells us two things. Firstly, it tells us that the physical matters. The physical matters. Of all of the world's faith, Christianity is exceptionally earthy and physical. It's materialistic in the best sense of the term. As humans, we are physical beings. We are made in the image of God. We are called to love God with our whole being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And most importantly, Jesus isn't raised as a spirit or a ghost, but with a body. He affirms that the physical, that the body is good, that we're not merely a soul encased in a corpse. Our body matters. And yet, it would be fair to say we have a bit of an odd relationship with our bodies, don't we? You might have heard it said, your body is a temple. And it's an idea that has actually moved beyond the pages of the Bible into popular culture. Onto pages of magazines like Men's Health or Real Fitness. You know, the kind of magazines it's quite clear that I read. It's an advertising slogan which is used to sell everything from vitamins to luxury shampoos and body lotions which we get because we're worth it. It's a, but it's also a source of some quite funny quotes. Aside from the variation from Anthony Bourdain who said your body is not a temple, it's an amusement park, enjoy the ride. I came across a few this week as I was preparing this. I thought they were quite funny. I thought I'd share them with you. My body is a temple. Ancient and crumbling and quite possibly cursed or haunted. <laughs> My body is like a temple or at least like a Catholic church, full of bread, wine and guilt. <laughs> Have we any Star Trek fans here? One or two? Okay, right. Well, my body is not a temple, it's a Federation starship with critical hull damage and shields at naught percent. <laughs> there was actually a couple of years ago there was a really interesting twist on the idea of your body as a temple. There was a gym in Poland who declared itself 
a church of the healthy body to avoid having to close owing to COVID restrictions. Churches didn't have to close, Jim's dead. We'll be a church then. Yet not all of us has the happiest relationship with our bodies. One of the things the polling company YouGov tracks is how happy people in the UK are with our bodies. Recent figures suggest that while 49% of us said we were happy or very happy with our body, mostly in the happy rather than the very happy, 48% declared they were unhappy or very unhappy with their own weight and body image. And that insecurity appears to be stronger in women. 54% of women said they were happy or very unhappy with their bodies, compared with 43% of men. For women, these feelings tended to peak between the ages of 35 and 40, and for men, between the ages of 45 and 50. There was only one section of the population which reported more people happy or unhappy with their body image. More people happy or very happy than unhappy or very unhappy. And that was the 65 plus age group. Even allowing for the frustrations about those parts of you that might not be working as well as they once did. But people of faith have not been immune to this odd relationship with the body. On one hand, I can remember being told certain things in church about about growing up. I should avoid because my body was the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it was quite selective. I was warned numerous times about smoking. Fair enough. I was warned lots about the sin of drunkenness. But I can honestly not recall a single sermon on gluttony, overeating. And that despite, or perhaps because, the majority of the people who preached those sermons to me, to be honest, let's be kind, would have fallen into the overweight category. And it's interesting. If I were to start preaching sermons to you on your eating habits, or the amount of sleep you were getting... Some people might start questioning, Andrew, have you not strayed off your turf a bit? Should you not leave that stuff to the dietitians, the slimming world leaders, the fitness instructors? Andrew, why don't you stick to the sort of more gaudy stuff? And in some ways, the Bible would pack that up. Paul, in particular, contrasts the flesh with the spirit. He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Or in Galatians, he says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. He goes on to say, the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And we can move from this idea of physical v. spiritual, viewing physical as bad or spiritual as good, that our bodies are just houses for a soul, except that that's not what the Bible teaches. Right at the very beginning in Genesis 2, God breathes into Adam, and Adam isn't given a soul. He becomes one. He becomes a soul. He becomes a living being. And when Paul talks about flesh and spirit, he's not actually talking about physical and spiritual in the way we would talk about it. It's about the mindset that is prepared to listen to and walk with God, and the mindset that is not prepared to do that and is actually opposed to God. Resurrection affirms the physical. It tells us the created world matter, that our bodies matter, that our bodies are part of the all things that are being renewed, restored, reconciled to God. And so our body is to be respected. Physical exercise, eating well, sleeping properly, if you get the chance when you have kids, is, you know, they're spiritual disciplines. And our body is to be listened to. We can try to ignore the aches and pains. We can try to numb stuff with medication or self-medicating. And sometimes medicine is good and necessary. But just as important is to listen to what your body is telling you. That there are times that your body will be telling you, slow down, take some care. Your body may be a source of frustration and discouragement. You may have a poor self-image. In fact, if those figures are to believe, quite a few of us in this room will have a poor self-image. And you can be honest with God about that. But as you do so, remember this and allow God to speak this over you. Your body is part of the whole you whom God loves, for whom Jesus came, and in whom the Spirit wants to dwell. Paul Agudor, who's probably my all-time favorite theologian, puts it like this. Jesus' resurrection brings us into a new relationship with many things, including our bodies. Our current bodies may be sagging, creaking, wrinkling before our eyes, but they're not to be hated. The resurrection calls us to live well in our bodies now. Because we, because once raised from the dead, we will have a body, albeit a different, glorious one for eternity. Resurrection tells us the physical matters. But it also tells us something else, that it's not just about there and then. It's here and now. It's already started. Although Jesus' resurrection conformed to one Jewish expectation in that it was physical, it shattered another one in that God didn't wait till the end of time to do it. Jesus was raised into this world, into this life. God's resurrection life has broken into this earthly one. Jesus has dragged God's future into the here and now. That God is in the business of bringing new life and new hope into the world 
right now. God is restoring, reconciling, renewing all things. And it started. Resurrection isn't just something we believed happened to Jesus in a garden 3,000 miles away 2,000 years ago. We are not just called to be spectators. We are invited to be participants. After the resurrection, Jesus spent or sent his spirit into the world. And the same spirit which raised Jesus from the dead is alive at work in his people. When we seek, as that opening song we sang this morning, when we seek to be part of fixing what is broken in this world. That spirit is alive and at work in food banks, in homeless droppings, in those times we spend with the lonely, when we help people fleeing from war, financially or practically, or to bring us back to what we did earlier, right down to surrounding Hannah with goodness, love and respect, with all that is good and true, with showing by work and example the love of God. All those things that some of us at least chose to say together earlier. And I pray that Hannah will come to know how loved and precious she is, not just by her earthly parents or her family, but by her heavenly father. But a significant factor in whether that happens isn't kind of ethereal and spiritual. It's very earthy and physical. Whether she encounters it in us. Whether we keep those promises we made today when she's being sweet and lovely as she was this morning. Or when maybe... She's slightly less sweet and lovely. Well, I'm sure that never happens. <laughs> the physical matters. Here and now matters. And it's here that our understanding of the notion of the body as a temple will differ from what you're hearing down the gym. Because the message there is that you have something glorious and amazing and it's to be worshipped. And it completely misses the point of what a temple is. Because a temple isn't built for the worship of the temple. The temple is built for the glory of the God to whom it's dedicated. And so it is with us. Our bodies are important. But so is how we use them. God is still in the business of restoring, of reconciling, of renewing the world. And he does through, so through a body. The church. Through us. And yes, there are times when that temple feels ancient and crumbling. 
becoming more like an old cultural relic, like some of the wonderful examples I saw on holiday in Egypt a number of years ago. And like our physical bodies, there can be times when the body of the church can be hard to love, when it can be a source of frustration and disappointment. It doesn't always have the best of self-images. It's not often admired by those around it. But it is not to be hated. It is not to be despised. For this body is loved by God. It's precious to God. And itself is part of God's renewing, restoring, reconciling. It is still the body that God loves. The body that Jesus gave his life for. The body in whom the Spirit wants to dwell. But if God is to extend his love into the world, it will be a physical thing, a bodily thing, lived out in choices that we make. To borrow from Teresa of Avila, the only body of Christ that many will meet is ours. Ours are the eyes that need to look on the world with compassion. Our feet need to go where they are needed. Our hands must be used for the, to work good in the world. Because when we do that, we're using the temple for its proper purpose. Not for our glory, but to bring glory to the God to whom it's dedicated. The God who comes to us and gave himself for us in Jesus Christ. So may you learn to live well in your body. May you listen to it. May you respect it. May you know that it is loved by God. May you know it is part of the you for whom Jesus came and in whom the Spirit wants to dwell. May you use that body for the glory of God in the small and big decisions we make. May we never restrict God to the spiritual gaudy stuff. May we allow our faith to get physical, to join God in the work of bringing healing to his world. Because when we do that, we will become a temple, truly fit for purpose, bringing glory to God in the faith that one day we will be raised, a new, glorious, transformed body for all eternity. Grace and peace to you.